Welcome to Your Wealth, Your Legacy, a podcast by Prairie Wood Wealth Management, where we cover the latest in investment, tax, estate, and charitable giving strategies to help you keep more of what you make, make more with what you have, and create a legacy that lasts beyond your lifetime. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. Here are your hosts, Nathan Anderson and Steve Nelson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 19th episode of Your Wealth, Your Legacy. I'm your host, Nathan Anderson, here with my co-host, Steve Nelson. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, and it's great to be here. March has definitely been an interesting month with the collapse of two major banks, which we'll talk about in today's episode. Yeah, we thought uh, just kind of with everything going on in the financial markets this last month, it'd be interesting to talk about really a couple of the the major banks that collapsed. And then, you know, a question a lot of people are asking is, is my cash and are my assets safe? And we thought it would make sense just to cover that. Yeah, I think it makes sense to just start with an overview of what happened. A lot of you are probably familiar with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank now, but probably not before. So what happened was, you know, basically the second week of March, Silicon Valley Bank failed. They had $209 billion in assets. And then two days later, the government shut down Signature Bank, which had $110 billion in assets. So that represents the second and third largest bank failures on record that the FDIC had to bail out. And I think, you know, when you look at the financial markets, you know, typically in what we saw in this case was, you know, when two very significant banks fail, you see significant volatility throughout the entire financial sector because everybody's concerned and wondering, you know, is my bank next? How far is this going to spread? Before we get into too many details on these two specific banks, I think a, a helpful place to start is just thinking through how banks operate um, and just kind of providing an overview of perspective that's going to be helpful as we think through um, what happened in these two specific cases. But to start out, you know, the way that banks operate is individuals deposit funds with the bank. And so they give, they give their cash to the bank and then the bank takes that money and they go out and invest it, whether it's through lending on, you know, let's say home mortgages or buying treasury bonds, lending to a business. And so, you know, even though you deposit your, your cash in the bank, the bank doesn't just hold that cash and have it sitting as a pool of cash that can be distributed back to all of their clients at any given time. You know, they always have a portion of cash on hand to support withdrawals. But if everybody wants their cash at the same time, the bank isn't going to have that available without selling investments or trying to figure out a way to liquidate investments that it has in order to distribute that cash back. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, I think if we specifically talk about Silicon Valley Bank and what happened, what caused it to collapse, it was really a couple of things. You know, first of all, the strategy of Silicon Valley Bank was really a niche focus on venture capital and other startup companies. Which ultimately, up until this time, had worked very well for it. I think it was from 2019 to 2021, they tripled their deposits. Like they were growing very, very quickly because of this focus. But as we get into kind of why they failed, it's also part of their downfall. And so, yeah, when you have that much money coming in, you have to figure out what to do with it. And it was coming in so fast that they couldn't lend it out as fast as the money was coming in. So they made the decision to buy really long-term safe investments, treasuries, but long-term. And so then when the Federal Reserve began to increase interest rates, the value of those treasuries fell in value. There's always an inverse relationship between the price of bonds and interest rates. So if you're holding a bond and the interest rates go up, 
your bond isn't going to look as attractive because it's going to have a lower interest rate that it's paying. And so the market mechanism for that to correct is the, the price of that bond will fall. And it falls more on longer term or longer duration bonds, which is what Silicon Valley Bank invested in. And really at the same time, so as interest rates were going up, a lot of Silicon Valley's clients, these venture capital and startup funds that in the past have relied on very cheap financing and very cheap interest rates, with interest rates going up, started to withdraw their cash to use their cash to support operations, which put pretty significant stress on Silicon Valley Bank because now a lot of these deposits were leaving and they had to sell their long-term investments to fund those, those withdrawals. And so, yeah, as a result of those losses, they had to raise capital to shore up their balance sheet. And that spooked investors. And on March 9th, in a period of you know just a few hours, depositors tried to withdraw $42 billion in one day. And if we think about how much assets they had, $209 billion, that's about 25% of the assets leaving in one day. And I don't think any bank could withstand that. Yeah. And so then, you know, with that happening on, on March 9th and the scare that that created, you know, the next day Signature Bank experienced a very similar run. Signature Bank was similar in the fact that it was exposed to the cryptocurrency industry and technology. And so as Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, a lot of Signature Bank's customers also became nervous. And so on the next day, Friday, Signature experienced a $10 billion run on deposits and was also not able to handle that level of outflow. You know, with those two banks collapsing, the question that many people are asking is, are there going to be more banks that fail and is their money safe? Yeah, and before we dive into whether more banks will fail, I think it's important to understand, you know, what caused these bank runs in the first place. You know, first, bank runs are not new. There was a lot during the Great Depression and even more during the financial crisis of 2008. It was actually the Great Depression that led to the creation of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or FDIC, which is deposit insurance. You know, I think the other thing to think about is bank runs are often self-fulfilling. So people get concerned about a bank's financial health, and then they pull their deposits, which creates more financial distress for the bank, and the vicious cycle starts. And often that doesn't stop at a single bank because when one bank fails, typically people get concerned about their deposits at other banks. So, you know, one of the things Steve mentioned, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or the FDIC, and really that was formed after the Great Depression to reduce the chances of bank runs in the future. And so the way that the FDIC works or what, the way that FDIC insurance works is currently it covers up to $250,000 of deposits per individual, per bank, per account ownership type. And so the key to understand there is that there is insurance up to certain levels um, for deposits. And so the idea there is if deposits are insured, individuals are going to be a lot less likely to panic and withdraw them if they're concerned about a financial institution's health because they know that those deposits are insured. And if we get back to Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, both of those banks had very high levels of uninsured deposits. At Silicon Valley Bank, it was close to 94%. You know, think of these venture capital and startup companies that raised a lot of money. They were well over the $250,000 FDIC insurance limit. And same with Signature Bank. Almost 90% of their deposits were uninsured. So when you think about that, if you have a large portion of your funds are uninsured, 
you're incentivized to withdraw those funds at the first sign of distress because you're not guaranteed to get them back if the bank were to fail. And so in this case, that was a large contributor to the bank runs on both of these banks. And so at the point when when these banks failed and, and other banks were concerned about how their customers were going to react and if they were going to withdraw funds as well, the FDIC stepped in and invoked what's called the systemic risk exception, which allows them to increase FDIC insurance and effectively insured all the deposits at Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank to demonstrate their commitment to stopping any issues before they really got out of hand. So this doesn't necessarily eliminate risk and doesn't mean that deposits are um, insured at all banks all across the country, but what it does do is it does demonstrate the government's commitment to making depositors whole, even if a bank fails and is an attempt to restore faith into the system overall. So then that brings up a second question a lot of individuals are asking is whether their assets at brokerage firms like Charles Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, are those assets safe? And I think to understand or answer that question, you really have to understand that a brokerage firm's assets are different than a bank's assets. They're segregated and not commingled, unlike a bank. So for a brokerage firm to lose assets, it more than likely would have to be a fraud. It can happen. It has happened. There was a case about 10 years ago, MF Global, where they used segregated customer funds for liquidity purposes and weren't able to repay them. And similar to the FDIC insurance, brokerage firms have what's called the Securities Investor Protection Corporation, or SIPC, S-I-P-C. SIPC covers cases where securities cannot be returned at a brokerage firm, and it's up to 500000 Yeah, and even some brokerage firms, just for peace of mind of their clients, will carry you know additional insurance policies to cover even beyond any losses that SIPC would cover. With Charles Schwab, I think they have a $600 million additional policy. And really, the, the idea of that and the goal of that is to demonstrate to customers that your assets are safe. It's important to know that this doesn't protect against securities simply declining in value. So if you buy a stock and the market goes down, SIPC does not cover that. But I think the key takeaway here is brokers, they do not operate like banks. A brokerage firm has to segregate and not commingle the assets. Whereas we talked about with banks, when you deposit money, the bank actually uses that money to either invest in securities or make loans. Yeah, so in the case of a brokerage firm, if it were to fail, you know, typically what they'll do is just return your segregated assets to you. So I think having covered what happened in March with Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, the next question really leads into more of a practical question, which is how should individuals manage their cash? Are there ways to reduce the risk that they're taking and still earn a decent return? And so I think when I think through how to manage cash, there's really two priorities. One priority is security. How do you protect the cash that you have? And the second priority is earning a return. And I think what March has shown us is that the security priority is really the top priority. And then earning a return is a benefit beyond that. You know, thinking through security, the first and most most obvious answer to that and, and way to maximize that is to make sure that you're keeping your cash under FDIC insurance limits. And whether that's having cash at multiple banks, whether that's having accounts with different ownership types. If you remember, the $250,000 limit applies per ownership type of account. So you could have a single individual account, a joint account, trust account. Um, if you have business accounts, that's a different ownership type. 
And so you can get additional FDIC insurance by having by having cash in different account types. So just making sure that across banks and across ownership types, your cash is all fully FDIC insured would be number one. And then I'd also say, you know, when you're thinking about the next step or the second priority of earning a return, you know, really that's just a matter of shopping around and finding the banks that are paying the best rates. One solution we use with our clients is called Flourish Cash. So Flourish Cash is an option that can streamline this process. So what Flourish Cash does is they're actually a broker. They take their clients' cash and they have all of these partner banks that they will deposit it at. And what this allows is you can they can spread out the cash over multiple banks to achieve up to 1.25 million of FDIC insurance for single accounts and up to 2.5 million for joint accounts. And what they're doing with their partner banks is they're also trying to get the best rate of return. So currently as of April 1st, 2023, they're paying up to 4.4% with no minimums or time commitments. So, yeah, when you think about, you know, the hassle of spreading assets across multiple banks or shopping around and finding the banks that are paying the best interest rates for individuals that don't want to take on that hassle and doing that themselves, a solution like Flourish Cash can be a very attractive option. Especially at tax time when you'll get one single 1099 tax document from Flourish Cash, despite how many banks they have it in. So they really simplified the process. You know, another option that individuals have that have a lot of cash and don't want to deal with multiple banks would be just to invest it in a money market fund. So money market funds are mutual funds that hold very short-term, highly liquid investments. They are held at a brokerage account, and so they're segregated assets. They are not FDIC insured, but typically they're holding very high-quality short-term investments. So you can purchase these money market funds you know, at Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard. They all have their own. And typically they're going to invest in you know, U.S. government securities or commercial paper from highly rated institutions. So how money market funds work is typically they trade at a constant net asset value of $1 per share. You know, I think it's important to know that these are not FDIC insured. And in the past, there have been some funds that what's called broken the buck, which means their net asset value declined below the $1. I think the most famous example was in 2008, the reserve fund which was a $67 billion money market fund, broke the buck during the crisis and traded down to 97 cents. But these are very rare given the high quality, short-term nature of the underlying holdings. So currently as of April 1st, 2023, money market funds are currently paying around 4.5%. We mentioned Flourish Cash is also an option at 4.4%. So yeah, if you're not earning a return close to that, it would definitely be something you'd want to look into. Overall, Steve, I think that's everything we wanted to cover in this episode. You know, I think if I were just to think through and and sum everything up, it's fair, obviously fair to say that March 2023 has been a wild month in the financial and banking industries um, with both the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and how sudden they were and, and how that's created concern really throughout the system. You know, kind of like we talked about earlier, though, there were some unique characteristics to these banks that made them susceptible to these issues. And then, you know, hopefully the government response that's been, you know, fairly swift and has ultimately fully insured the deposits at these two banks has been enough to demonstrate for the public that the government is is willing to step in and and protect their cash balances to, to stop any further spread throughout the system. 
For individuals who are interested in thinking through the best solutions for managing their cash balances and ensuring they're making and earning a decent return on those balances, you know, I think the best solution you know, initially is to make sure that you're under the FDIC insurance limits in all of your bank accounts or thinking through potentially using a, a money market fund that invests in you know, extremely safe or government securities. Um, ultimately, those, those two strategies can reduce risk. Individuals who are, are interested in implementing that and want a simple way to do it, you know, a solution like Flourish Cash might be a good option for them. For those who are interested in learning more about managing cash balances, I'd recommend checking out our blog article on our website. And similarly, if you'd like to connect with one of our family CFOs to help implement an effective cash management strategy for your family, feel free to reach out to us on our website at pw-wm.com. That's all we have for today. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Your Wealth, Your Legacy by Prairiewood Wealth Management. If you have comments, questions, or would like to learn more about working with Prairiewood Wealth Management, we would love to hear from you. Please visit us at our website, pw-wm.com, or email us at service at pw-wm.com. If you find our podcast helpful, leave us a review and share it so others can find us as well. Thanks for listening as we continue our quest to help others keep more of what they make, make more with what they have, and create a legacy that will last beyond their lifetime. The information discussed on this podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not represent investment, tax, or legal advice. Opinions expressed are those of Prairiewood Wealth Management and are subject to change not guaranteed and should not be considered recommendations to buy or sell any security. While past performance of market results may be discussed, it does not provide any assurance of future performance. The information presented herein has been obtained from sources deemed reliable but is not guaranteed.